Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And I remember going out to Afghanistan in 2006. I was 21 years old. And like, I remember, I remember growing up, feeling like I was growing up. Welcome to episode 52 of the Adventure Podcast with ex-SAS soldier Jay Morton. The podcast has evolved fairly significantly over the last six months and there are a lot more people tuning in each week. So thank you for coming on board and for checking in. And for those of you who are fairly new to the Adventure Podcast, you might be interested in some of the conversations from the back catalogue. Episode 44 with Ian Miller seems to be a firm favourite amongst listeners. Um, Ian might be the only professional sea stack climber on earth and has found peace and sanctuary on the west coast of Ireland after a career in the Merchant Navy. Episode 46 saw journalist George Monbiot tell us the story of the time he was presumed dead in Brazil. And then there's the Solitude specials that we released throughout lockdown this summer featuring polar explorer Ben Saunders, long-distance cyclist Jenny Tuff, climber and mental coach Hazel Finley, and ex-commando sniper Aldo Kane. But onto this episode. As I said, uh, Jay is an ex-SAS soldier um, who served for 10 years in the regiment. As a soldier, he qualified as a military mountain guide, and he used those skills to complete two successful Everest expeditions. Jay's perhaps best known for his role on the television show SAS Who Dares Wins, but in this episode, Jay and I sat down in a half-renovated barn in a corner of Dorset and ended up chatting as though the mics weren't really there. We avoid the high drama of TV and dive a little more deeply into who Jay is, why he's done what he's done, and what motivates him. Right, let's do it. Yeah, sure. So I think we've pretty much covered everything. Anyway. I know we've, <laughs> we've been, been talking for half an hour. What's the time? I've been here forty minutes. Hey, I've been doing forty minutes already. Okay. Bad. Right. So we'll go back to the start. Yeah. Seeing as how we didn't do all of that. Yeah. So, what's your name and where do you come from? My name is Jamie uh, Jay Morton. Uh, and what? Where I come from? <laughs> Preston originally, of all places. How do you end up down here? Oh, God knows. God knows. Have you ever been to Preston? No. You'd understand why I'm down here. If <laughs> you'd been. No offence to anyone in Preston, but it's probably the worst place in the world. One of the worst places in the, in the UK. Being from Grimsby, I'd maybe argue Grims- against. Yeah, Grimsby's the same though, isn't it? I left Grim- three days after my GCSEs. Did you? See, I left. I left when I was 19. Like, I'd always been... I'd always been... So, I, I, I don't know. I always kind of wanted to get out, not for that reason, but 
Um, like I always wanted to join join the military. Um, you know, even at like you're probably the same, the same Matt. Like I, I can't do well indoors. Um, I just you know hated school. I hated being in classrooms. I enjoyed sport, played rugby league. Um, so yeah, like for me, you know, I had a mate that was in the military, wanted to join the Marines, um, and then yeah, like it just it just looked well like a, an adventure. A load of lads go away to different countries, and um, but you get paid for it at the same time. Like why? Like what's not to like about that? The propaganda worked. Yeah. Well, the propaganda propaganda was that you go to play sport. So I was like big rugby league player. I was like, yeah, I love that. Go play rugby league. But um, didn't play didn't play a game of rugby league in my whole fourteen years in the military. Really? Yeah. So <laughs> that is propaganda. And there was like, I remember going into the paras, and everyone everyone else was the same. Everyone was like, yeah, I joined to box. Well, saying that we, we box, but everyone was like, uh, joined to play football or rugby, and, and no one did. That's so odd. I'd never considered that you'd join to play sport. Well, not specifically to, to, to play sport. Um, but yeah, like, I think it was just the Paras. But, but like, you know, you have to understand, like, we joined kind of post-Gulf War II. Um, off the top of my head, that was, say, 2003. I can't remember. I'm going to get the dates wrong, but... You know, I was like 19 years old. It was post Gulf War Two, um, so you, so the the tour the tour at the time to to go out on was the Iraq tour, so Telic. So we deployed out to Iraq um, the the year after I passed out uh, for three months. Nothing really happened. Really quiet. Um, but kind of the first time I'd been away anyway for a long period of time. And then, yeah, it was whilst we were on that tour that. Uh, the Americans went over to Afghanistan. So that was 2005. Um, yeah, and I, I remember sitting down in like a, a big hall. You, you get briefed, briefed from the, the CEO and the RSM or whatever, and they're like, you know, there's probably a good chance that we're going to go into Afghanistan next year. Um, and obviously we were all fucking excited because you just are, aren't you? It's like, you know, I probably never joined to go to war as such like that wasn't like why I joined but I don't know like once you've passed out and done all your training you're a paratrooper aren't you so that's what you want to do it might sound stupid but that's what I was just going to ask did it occur to you as a 19 year old that you'd probably end up going to war no weirdly I I didn't even think about it I don't know like do you think about much in the future as a 19 year old like what were you doing when you were 19 Uh, I was in the Lake District but did you going climbing kayaking did you know when you were 19 that you sat here like... No idea. You know, doing the podcast and... No. I don't know, you've, you've very, I don't know, as a young 19-year-old, I don't know, you're just enjoying the ride and doing what feels good, aren't you? Yeah. Which Playing you, Xbox and yeah. hanging out with my mates. You've no worries. Yeah. You know, probably got, got paid like 800 quid a month. Yeah. Um, so no, like, you know, 19 years old, I had no idea that I was going to go to war and... Do you know what? Even when we first got told we were going to go into Afghanistan, still no idea that, you know, what was going to happen in that 2006 tour. Um, we were like, we were obviously like the first, first UK forces to go over there um, as a, you know, as a, as a, as a, you know, a military tour, a military uh, deployment. 
Um, and at the time it was, it was more, you know, a peacekeeping operation. It was less about, um, you know, we, we didn't realize what, what was actually about to happen kind of thing. It was, you know, and I remember that when we first got out there at the time, what was going to be Camp Bastion was just being built and, uh, it's in the middle of the desert and it's, it's this, I don't know if you've ever been out to, to that area, but the dust or the sand is like fine, like super, it's like cement. Um, and it gets absolutely everywhere. I'm prob probably sure like there's probably a claim out there somewhere with someone's lungs that are going to get damaged when they, when they hit the age of like 40, <laughs> 50 or something. It's like, it's like super fine dust. Um, and I just remember like there was nothing there, no roads or, or no infrastructure. And we were living in uh, big green six by nine tents, all crammed in on, on camp cots, all allowed one bag uh, and like our military Bergens. So that's it. When I think people like expect to sit down and listen to you talk about stuff, you know, what they want to hear about is the stuff they can't hear about, yeah. which is all the SF yeah. is. But I'm fascinated by, and I've never asked anybody who's ex-military, you know, what is it like for a young man who's never been on an expedition, never been on a big overseas trip, to suddenly walk off an aeroplane and have one bag and this uncomfortable bed and just be there? Yeah, it's, but do you know what? It's like a, you always build like a false sense of security up, don't you? And we'd done three months in Iraq and nothing had happened. I think we got some shots fired at us that we thought were getting fired at us and they were probably just like wedding shots or something. So, we'd, you know, you build up like massive false sense of security, which we did in those three, three months. So when we went out to Afghanistan, you know, you, you kind of feel like you're just going out there to do something similar to, the, to what you'd done in in Iraq and there was no, there was no pre-brief or there was no intelligence to say that, you know, we were going out there to, to do any, you know, battle or anything like that. It was, I can't actually remember the reason why we went out there. I think it was more just to support the US. Um, so no, not like, no, you, you're not like, I, you know, I was probably, I was probably excited to go, go away for six months and, and be in a different country more than, um, going over there to soldier, you know, it's, it's an adventure, isn't it? It's like you go into a different country, um, seeing a different, seeing a different place and a different culture and that kind of stuff. It was more, more that and, and team, I say teamwork, but just being a part of like, you know, the battalion or, the, or your company. And at that time, our platoon was super tight and everyone was, everyone was solid in there. Everyone was, was a good guy and we had a good rank structure and, you know, it was just, it was a good feeling, a good vibe to be over there. Did it matter to you why, why you were there? Nah, not at all. Like, nah, not really. Like, you, you don't get, you don't choose to go over there, do you? You semi-do, you choose to be in the military, but you don't choose to go where you go on deployment. So you go where you get sent. So for me, the reason why the Brits went away was irrelevant, you know, that's my job. I'm going to get sent over there regardless. For me, it was more about just, just, you know, the same reason why I went into the military is, is, is to get away from, you know, join something, be a part of something, travel, you know, be with like-minded individuals, be outdoors, all those kind of things. Do you think that people underestimate the need for young men to find, well, anybody to find purpose, but... A million percent million percent 
I think that's what the military does perfectly. I think that's what sports teams that do perfectly. You know, like I genuinely feel like you know, you know, right now we've got like a, a massive suicide and depression problem, haven't we? Or mental health problem, as we call it. And I, and I feel like, you know, I'm not saying that I'm the expert in this, but. I'd say a lot of that is just down to people not having things or purpose, like you said, in, in their life. Do you know, whatever that is, it could be sport, it could be climbing, it could be adventure, it could be, I don't know, fucking having good people around you. I think that's what we're all looking for. Of course. Yeah, yeah. massively. I mean, I'm sort of jumping 14 years here, but, and we'll definitely drift back, but did you find you lost that sense of purpose when you walked off that? you know, base for the last time? No. Nah, like, it's weird. Like, those, like I left. So I, I handed my chit, whatever you want to call it, I handed my resignation in and I left within six weeks. So it was a really fast turnaround. And I, and I remember, like I wanted to get out. You know, I wanted to leave the military. So I remember, I don't know, feeling a, a sense of relief. Do you know, I can imagine if it, if it was, if your hand was forced, you know, like, like the guys that get injured overseas, they have to leave. I can imagine that it's a different situation. But for me at the time, I, I, you know, I wanted to leave. So it was, I remember like driving out of camp and just the last thing you do is hand your card in, your swipe card for the gate at, Her at Hereford. And I, I handed that in. Um, and then you have to go around and get these, these signatures off like 40 people around the camp, the CEO, loads of people. And I had two days to do it in. I planned one day. Fucking massive overestimation, underestimation, one of them. But um, I basically forged all these signatures to get out. I shouldn't say that really, should I? I only forged a few of them, all right? He didn't forge any. Nah. Um, yeah, and then the last thing you do, hand your card and drive out the gates. I felt a sense of relief, to be honest. So how do you go from, like, finding that purpose as a 19-year-old to wanting to get out so badly? Um, do you know, it was, it, was, it was quite a few reasons, and a few of them... Yeah, it was like a, it was, it was a compiled few reasons. Um, do you know what the biggest one was? Um, so I was very, like, career-driven, like, joined the regiment, you know, as a kid from Preston... Um, didn't really, you know, bar played some sport, didn't really do much before joining the regiment. And then I went to Mountain Troop. So you got four troops, I went to Mountain. Um, and then just found like a passion for, like picked up, I never skied before, picked up skiing, like super quick. Um, got really into my climbing. Went away and did a Mountain Guides course in Germany called the Bergfuhrers for two years. And it was kind of out there that, and I remember, I always remember a moment that we had like a ski tour that me and the other guy, Joe, uh, used to do just a regular one because it was always like really nice conditions. And uh, we used to ski, like tour up to this ridgeline, sit on this ridgeline. Used to call it Mini Chamonix because it was like middle, middle of the Bavarian Alps, but it, it looked like um, it looked like Chamonix, you know, like big jagged ridgelines. And we used to sit on this ridgeline and just, take a flask up and some sandwiches or whatever and shot of whiskey we used to sit up there and I, just, I don't know like I, just, I, had, I had that moment you know that light bulb moment where you just like do you know what there's more to more to life than just wanting to progress through my military career um, 
and I guess you know that was a, a big life-changing moment for me where I just kind of came back from that course and came back from that literally the day that I landed I probably had two weeks leave and then went overseas like when I finished the the Bergfuhrers went overseas to a, a country I can't mention but uh, and I remember just like landing in it and like as soon as I arrived got my kit and went straight out on the ground and I was just like I was semi-depressed semi-depressed um, you know in the place that we were at there was definitely a lot of destruction going on and um, I don't know you know I just I probably had the planted the seed in my head then that there was, there was something more out there you know and I was 30 31 when I came back so still quite young still plenty of time to put my energy into other things this is coming back from the Bergfuhrers yeah the mountain course yeah so deployed overseas and you know and then like a few other reasons um, you know like you know I think being in special forces is just like any other job isn't it like once you've done 10 years you're just doing the same things over and over again and I fucking loved it do you know what I mean it was like it, honestly the perfect job but I think you know if, if I did the perfect job now for 10 years I'd still get bored um and you, you're doing the same thing over and over again, aren't you? How much of it's romanticised? You know, there's not many... Loads. You think? Yeah. I managed to convince someone the other week that I could kill him with one finger. <laughs> <laughs> he's sat in a bar with chat and he's like, he's like, can you do all that, like, hand-to-hand combat? I was, like, I was like, yeah, mate. He's like, what's like, can you, like, kill... I was like, mate, I can do it with a finger. <laughs> Little finger. <laughs> Little finger, yeah. He bought it, though. It's probably going back to what we said before about people making their own stories and their own head up about stuff. Um, you know, I think, you know, I don't think the Americans help in that. No. Not, not in any way, but do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a, a stereotypical special forces guy, isn't there? Um, and it probably comes from, from that US kind of Delta dev group kind of guy. Um, one thing I will say is like, you know, the, the lads in, in the Special Force in the UK and overseas in America are just, just guys, just ordinary people um, who've put themselves through a course and proved that they're better than other people around them, um, you know, and have the will and drive to be better and, and pick up pick up learning new, new things very quickly and can, can apply themselves very quickly. And, you know, there's lots of people like that in the world, isn't there? It's just... Yeah. You just end up in that role and... Just need to be good at suffering, I guess, is one of the... Suffering's one of the big things, yeah, of course. Um, but then what's that, being good at suffering? That's... Is that lack of intelligence? <laughs> Some may say. <laughs> like the intelligent man would just take himself out and just say, right, that's me, I'm done. But that's what... I mean, that's what's interesting is, you know, 19-year-old Jay joins the Paris and he gets in and then he goes to Iraq and then he goes to Afghanistan what's the draw for trying you know something that you know is going to hurt for a year what did you just want the badge don't know probably like suffering probably like you Matt do you like suffering <laughs> I quite like it yeah of course I like, like it afterwards there's a reason you sit on all those those in the port ledges for weeks on end isn't there it's, just, it's the same thing it's like well imagine life without suffering that sounds like hell that sounds like a, a worse situation than life with suffering to me. Um, 
so yeah like you know that's I don't know that's part of the draw isn't it like selection you, you know I always look at selection and I think I enjoyed it like it was it's time for you to prove what you can do um, and you, you yeah I was like nervous before I went on like I remember driving up to the camp gates with funny enough Joe that I went on the Bergfuhrer's course with but um because we were good mates. He's actually from the lakes. Um, we were driving up in his Jetta, old school Jetta, and we just looked at each other and just went, what the fuck are we doing? Um, but do you know, it's like anything, isn't it? It's like apprehension's worse than doing. And once you start doing it and you realise, I don't know, it's like going back to the stigma. It's like select when you were in three para as a 19, 20, 21 year old, you know, private Lance Corporal, like selection and being in the regiment just seems like something that's so unattainable. And it's only people that, you know, you'd even get like guys that came back from failing selection and they were like legends in three para. You looked up to them, you asked them all the questions. Yeah, they failed. Do you know what I mean? Um, but then, yeah, it's like the same as anything. It's like once you start doing it, you realize that it's just, it's just a hill. You're just reading a map to get to another another checkpoint or even in the jungle, it's just soldiering. It's something that you've done for the last four years and you do it very well. You just have to do it better. But when did it change from... Because I assumed that the selection stuff was like, it's just an extension of the need for purpose and the need for identity. Um, <laughs> so, like, I think you, you, your first two years is probably the most exciting just because everything goes on a two-year cycle uh, in the squadron. So you, you rotate through and then after that two years, you do the same. Um, and that first two years is like every, every boy's dream kind of thing. It's the, it's the jumping out of planes, it's the driving fast cars, it's the shooting, blowing doors up, running through doors, night vision. It's like everything that is stigmatized in the special forces world. Um, and then, yeah, it's like, you know, you, you come to do it again for the next two years and it's not as exciting because you're just doing the set, you know, you're doing the set. It's literally the same thing, but you're doing it again. Um, and you come to do it again and you're just like, fuck me. And you go into some of the exercises and you're like, hang on, we did this building this time two years ago. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's the, it's the same as anything, isn't it? It just does become a job. And it and there's a reason for that as well. It's, it is your job and... You you wanna you wanna be professional. If, it, if 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 you were playing around at it, it wouldn't be a job. You wanna commit to it, and you wanna be the best special forces soldier there is. Because we're all fucking competitive in there. We're all trying to beat each other on the ranges, and you know, be faster at each other in the fucking in the blue light cars or whatever it is. It's like we're all trying to be better than each other. It's that kind of environment. Do you think it's healthy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I probably don't know any different. Um, it pushes you definitely. Um, probably struggle a bit coming out of it, especially when you're not surrounded by SF blokes or ex special forces guys. I definitely do. Like, I miss that. I miss that competitiveness. Or and it's not even like. Harsh. You can just tell people are doing it. You know, if you're on the range shooting, you're like always seeing what the, the person next to you is doing or 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I miss that aspect of it, you know. What do you think the general public think about it? What's okay, their perception yeah. of you? Well, for, for, you could, they think you can kill them with one finger for a start. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's 100% of people, but there is, like, you know, like, like going back to what I said before, it's like we're all just human beings. I think that's, you know, the stigma is pulled away from that. Like, we're all, you know, we all think and feel very similar to every human being, what every human being does. Um, you know, yeah, you know, our emotions get dulled down a lot just because we're ex exposed to a lot of, you know, I would say death probably is probably the thing that you get dulled down the most from or high adrenaline, like high adrenaline, stuff that you would see as being high adrenaline just gets normalised. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say that, you know, public perception is completely different to what it is. And um, it's probably, you know, I wouldn't say it's a good or a bad thing. It's It's weird. It's like, you know, when you meet SF blokes, they're just normal blokes. The, the SAS show probably doesn't do it very, you know, justice either, because it's just a load of testosterone-fueled dudes shouting at people, which isn't what happens in, in the Special Forces world. No. I mean, I, I'm exposed to it because in the expedition world, lots of the people that are looking after us and keeping us safe are ex-forces. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my perception of it has changed hugely over the last 10 years, because at first you're like, He's an SAS guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think, or do you think people look positively on people who are ex-military these days? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I almost just go back to your question. It's, you know, that there isn't like one specific type of SF bloke. And I think that is what the beauty of the special forces world is. Um, like diversification. Um, you know, and it's it's all about, and this will this will transfer into business. It'll transfer into trying to pick a team for an expedition or or whatever it is. You've got people that are strong in doing one things, uh, and people that are strong in doing other things. And you know, for for me, I know that I'm a ve I'm very creative minded, like free thinker. I'm slightly left wing. Do you know what I mean? I believe in free freedom of choice and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I'm I'm very messy. Like my admin's pretty shit. Do you know what I mean? Like whereas you think special forces guys, like I've got mates now, and I can just tell that they're looking at me going, "He was he was in the SAS." Do you know what I mean? And like my shit's all over the place, or my surfboard's not been waxed, or whatever. But I've just been very, like I've got very confident at that. Like I can not concern myself over the minutiae of details and just think, right, we're going on this job or this operation. I know I can perform on it how I'm doing now. Whereas other people like to come off a job, wash the kit, like make sure all the magazines are rebombed up for the next job. Like do this, like do that, like clean stuff, like all the, spend hours and hours doing that shit. Whereas, do you know what I mean? So there's, there's a massive diversification of people and cultures and countries in, in this, you know, you've got religious people, you've got, you've probably got some very right wing people in the military. It's, it's, and that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That's the beauty of having all these different kind of skill sets and, you know, thinkers and people that do stuff and experience levels in this one place. How do you replace it now? Um, 
Do you know, do, do you know like the expedition stuff? Um, do you know like being being a part of Through Dark? You know, surrounded by ex special forces guys. Um, like I need to do stuff. Like I can't sit still. I need projects. I need, you know, I need to. You know, that's why the expedition stuff was great because you go away for six weeks with a team and and work remotely and and eat shit food and that's pretty much what you did in the military. Um, yeah, I get, I get like depressed just being in buildings and you know, same as same as anyone, isn't it? It's like having some sort of purpose and you know, ex special forces. My purpose has to be quite quite high because you know, going back to what you're doing in special forces, it's it's quite, it, it's, it's high adrenaline, but it's not at the same time because it normalizes. Are you able to justify to yourself, not to anybody else, all of the stuff you've done? I'm not asking what you've done, but can you justify everything? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Is that the honest answer? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like, I don't, you know, I, I, never, I never dwell on anything that I've done. Like, yeah, 100% I can justify everything that I've done. Like, I made right decisions in, in moments that I needed to make right decisions for. And that's all about being a soldier, isn't it? It's... I think that's what I'm getting at when I talk about other people's perceptions. Like, you know, be totally blunt about it. I'm sure there's lots of people that think it's not okay to land a plane in another country and shoot at people. You know, what makes it okay to you? Um... Do, do you know what, Matt? Like, even just like looking back retrospectively, like, do I think that's right now? It's open to debate. Was that, you know, was that going through my head when we went over to those countries? Not one bit. Like, you, you know, it's the same, you know, you're part of a team, you're part of a, a group, and that's what you go over and do. Um, harshly or whether you like it or not do I lose, lose sleep over it no like that was the decision that I made at that time and I'll quite happily sit with that um, but yeah I mean it's not something that I sit and think about and I know that you know the world's changing now a lot um, yeah you know th th there was decisions that were made way above my head to go into some of the countries and, and it's not it's, you know it's above my pay grade to to question that. I think you have to justify it. Like... But also, what if we... Should we just not have a military anymore? Yeah. How's completely. that good? Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is the other argument. Like, exactly. Like, that's, that's a scarier thought for me. Right. So I'd fucking love to live in a world where we can go into any country that we want, shake hands kiss, whatever, sit down, drink a beer, watch TV, football, all right, whatever you want to do, whatever, you know, that's saying something specific. It's never going to happen as long as human, as the human race is on this planet. It is never going to happen. Do I think that, you know, us going to certain, certain countries was justified? At the time, yes. Now, not something I think about much. Well... But again, it's like going back to decisions that were made above your pay grade that on the other spectrum, like you need violence to count, like counteract violence. Like there's no other way of doing it. You can't just turn around some of these terrorist organizations and say like, 
hey guys, like, uh, do you mind just not doing that? Like, especially in our country, because, you know, what's, the, what's you know, how would, how would the population feel if that did leak over onto our borders and more lives were getting slaughtered in our country? Then it'd be like, and this is another thing, isn't it? It's like, especially with the media now and like, you know, with the, the population, it's like, you can't do right. No one sits down and goes, no one sits down and goes, fucking Brexit, smash it. Or like the reaction to, you know, that, that statue getting dragged down, whatever, you know, with the, with, the, with the protests, brilliant idea. No one goes like, no, the news isn't covered full of positive information, is it? It's like everyone just wants to neg on absolutely fucking everything. Like, ah, oh, the government aren't making the right decisions. Ah, oh, they went into the wrong country. Ah, oh, they're doing this wrong. They're doing that wrong. That pisses me off more than anything. But so to what extent is being a special forces soldier a bubble in the same way that going on expeditions a bubble? To, to get away from that. I mean, it's part of... I love expeditions and being away for lots of reasons, but one of them is that I have one job to do. Yeah, simplicity. Yeah, that's, that's one thing that's good about being in the military or the special forces is I think that's what I enjoyed massively about being overseas. Probably the same as like the expedition stuff is simplicity. Every day you wake up, you've got a job. You've got a simple job. You've got simple roles. Go over to that place, detain that guy, you know, take a team up to camp two or whatever it is. Simple, isn't it? Yeah. It's going, I think there's something there going back into like, you know, like, I don't know, the, the world is a very complex place right now, isn't it? Social media, you want, a, you want a nicer car than you did last year. Like you want, you know, everyone wants stuff, don't they? And it's like, you could take all that away and just go and live on a hilltop somewhere and drink green tea. Do you, <laughs> do you want a nicer car than you had last year? Of course. <laughs> That's called progression. So what yeah. makes Jay Morton happy then? I've not figured it out yet. <laughs> um, nah, I have. Um, do you know what? It's probably like, I think, I think to have any form of progression in life, you have to have some, some form of unhappiness. Otherwise, you, you don't thrive to, you know, do something different. Do you know what I mean? You have to have a little bit of, and I'd say it's healthy, you know, because I don't sit there and dwell on, I don't sit there and, and, and dwell on stuff. Um, but there's like a little bit of unease in me that just goes, like I need to do stuff to not feel content and feel happy, but just feel like I'm moving in a direction, you know? Why do you feel like you need to be moving in a direction? This is getting heavy. <laughs> this is getting deep. Because um, otherwise you're just standing still. Because, you, yeah, you need to... You need, you need goals and aims and things that excite you in your life. And, um, yeah, I think, I, I feel like I do, you know climbing or surfing like I need shit that I'm doing like if if I'm not then that is proper unhappiness 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. To how old are you now? 36. 36. And you were 14 years in the military, which is all of your adult life, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what it is you're going to do now? Um... Yeah, like obviously I left and, and, and set through dark through dark up with the lads. Um yeah, for me like you know, I got into the high altitude expedition stuff just through being in the military and being in, in mountain troop. Um and you know, I plan to do more of that stuff. Like I was due to go out to Amada Blam this year, but I've had to pull back. K two was supposed to be this year, but again, we have to roll that to next year and see what happens. Um I don't know, like I'm just one of these guys, Matt. I like seek opportunity and just just take it, and that's pretty much what I've done all my life. Um, you know, with everything that I've done, and you know, I'm going to be racing cars next year for Praga, um, which is going to take up a lot of time, a lot of time training, getting my race license, just getting because I've I've never raced before. Um, so getting up to a stage where I can compete in an in an endurance event in a in a tier one like ridiculously fast full aero car racing car um like that's going to take a bit a serious amount of time in my life i was about to start asking about the mountains but how did you get into the racing um again like do you know like i'm not i've, I've never been someone who goes right i love doing that i'm gonna do that um i've always been someone who just goes that seems cool i'm gonna go and do that and i think you know, like when I first joined the regiment, I I wanted to be an air troop just because I came from the paras. Um, and I actually didn't want to go to mountain troop just because, you know, I came from Preston. I was like, I was drinking cider and, and, you know, trying to get off with girls in the park most of my life, trying, still am. But uh, <laughs> so like, I never, never, like never skied, never climbed, never, n- never done anything like that. And so for me, that was, that probably was the last the last place that I wanted to go. Um, and it was, you know, my hand was forced into it and I went to Mountain Troop and that turned into a passion of mine. Um, but I've always been someone who just who just went, you know, even with the, the expedition stuff, it was like, right, do you want to go and climb K2, which turned into Everest? But at the time it was like, yeah, like, why wouldn't I? Um, How did all that come about? Exactly that. It was, there was um, an ex-regiment guy, uh, John, who um, got pretty fucked up in Afghanistan. I'm trying to think of the exact story because I'm not going to do it justice, but um, helicopter landed on top of him, like smashed his body up, ended up with one lung. Um, you know, like his his uh, his neared, I don't know what you call it, but extended, like, yeah, like overextended all the way around so that... It, you know, his toes were hitting into his hip flexor area uh, like he was a mess. Um, 
And he went on this like massive rehab for years and years and years, like painkillers, surgeries, all that kind of stuff. And um, did really successful in business, set up a, a bike team. Um, and he just, you know, just wanted to go and climb K2 and reached out to the regiment at the time. And just said, do you know any guys that want to that wanna support John in doing this? And yeah, it was just that opportunity, isn't it? Like, fuck yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> like, why would you not? Um, and it's, it's the same reason why I did the racing. Um, you know, not because, you know, I've always been into cars and motorsport. Again, not like, I don't have time to sit down and watch it, but I appreciate the the skill that goes into that. And it's probably the same with the climbing, probably the same with surfing. It's I appreciate the skill that goes into it, into that, and I want a part of that. I want to commit myself like time during my life to be able to get at least a fraction of the way to what you see the professionals doing. Um, so yeah, it was just more about seizing the opportunity. Yeah, it's so interesting the mindset of it all, like you seem pretty comfy in your own skin whereas I think lots of people are just trying to work out who they are yeah do you think that's fair yeah yeah definitely like um yeah yeah I think probably just down to the stuff that I've been exposed to I think and um I kind of I kind of know now being age 36 that that what of what what makes me content more than happy you know and you know you know you know how you feel when you come come back off a big expedition a bit depressed but it's like healthy depression isn't it well there's like i find i find there's a period of like you know definitely after the everest expeditions because your body takes an absolute beating um and you come back and there's like that minute of ecstasy of just being back on normal ground and you can go and eat whatever food you want and get back in the gym or whatever and get back running and then I don't know. I just feel a bit lost after that, you know, because you're probably the same, Matt. When you go away and do you say do your stuff, I just find it's a massive anticlimax. That as well, like being married and then gonna you know be gonna be a dad's a probably a different thing. I've not come back from a trip as a dad yet, which would probably be different. But I just find that you know people are like, oh, what's the what do you want to eat when you finish the trip, or how's the first shower? I'm like. Well, it's all right, but it's not like swimming in a jungle stream for three weeks before yeah. you then live on a big wall for three weeks and don't wash. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I struggle to come home. I think that's a big thing I've always struggled with. Yeah. Even on smaller trips early in my career to Africa, things like that. You know, I once when I was 22, I came back from the Congo having done an interesting bit of film work and I just sat in the milk aisle of Tesco's and cried. Really? And I was like, and I didn't know what was going on at the time. But I was just overwhelmed by choice and I didn't know what to do. And anyway, we won't get into all that now. Do you think that's healthy? Not at the time. Right. I felt really lonely. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do. And actually, I think it was like a little form of mini depression. Mm -hmm. And I think that like we'd done, well, we'd been involved in some interesting things out there. And I was 22 years old and I had no training or anything like that. And so I came home and was just overwhelmed by what I'd experienced. And then to suddenly just be living this normal life in Tesco's thinking, how much milk do I need? Do I need a little one or a medium one? And what, do I need blue milk or green milk? Mm. Was it the, was it 
the exposure to the, or was it the things that you were exposed to that made, made it that, or was it the overall living experience, or? You're turning it around on me now. I am, no, I'm, no in, I'm, I'm interested though, <laughs> like, because everyone's okay. different, aren't they? Yeah, I think that what it was for me, so that trip was a big catalyst in me working out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, mm-hmm. which, you know, the, the whole crying in Tesco's thing, I think that I was shocked by what I'd seen and some of the stuff that it was the first time I ever had a gun pointed at me. Really? Um, and I just came home and I didn't have anybody to sort of process that with. Mm-hmm. And so I did all that processing on my own just naturally. I and mean, then once I got over it, I thought, oh my God, that experience was not the whole AK-47 thing, but being in the Congo and seeing what we saw and doing all that stuff and feeling like what we were doing mattered. Like the filmmaking we were doing was important. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to do loads more of it. And now I, you know, I, I love going on the big trips. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I'm not searching for like the buzz or the rush. I'm searching for purpose. Mm-hmm. And nothing, nothing gets me going like being part of a little group of people who've all got individual jobs, but they've all got one goal together. Yeah, that's exactly the same in Special Forces. It's exactly the same. It's the thing that I probably miss the most. Going back to, um, I'm interviewing you now. <laughs> Going back to, because um, you know, I'm interested as well. Um, you know, that moment that you got that, the gun pointed to your head. Do you think you've learned, learned from that? I learned a lot. What? what I mean, the guy, I've never told this story out loud. Uh, and, you know, I've told it to like mates and stuff, yeah. but the guy I was with, who's now one of my best friends, he's a bit older than me. He's probably 45 and I'm 31. He'd done loads of that sort of work and he looked at me and he just said, if I run, you run. And that was all he said. And then, you know, it was all, it all happened so fast. It was over really quickly. It all turned out fine in the end, but I'm sort of processing it live on podcast recording, but I learned no, that. That's, 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 I'm going to say it, that's savage. I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, 99.5% of the population of the UK, if not going out to the world, have had a, a gun pointed at them. It's, it's a, you know, it's definitely a pretty savage thing to be involved in. But putting Regardless of whether you think it's going to go down or not. I think what it taught me is that I, you know, for all my flaws, of which there are many, I'm, I'm calm. I like pressure. Mm-hmm. I learned that I like pressure. And I learned that I can thrive on that pressure and I can stay super calm. And actually looking back on that experience, you know, whilst my heart was going, I didn't panic, didn't sweat, I didn't do anything I shouldn't have done exactly what I was told to do and since then you know I've been in lots of interesting situations doing you know not the expedition climbing film work but that's not all I do I do other bits of work as well and you know those are stories for a different day but I I love it mm. I just love it did you, I, did you uh, did you change your outlook on life at, at all it's a good question you are because I feel I feel like Definitely, like a million percent, like being in the military and being exposed to combat changed me as a person. I, I mean, I, I spent the best part of two years wandering around Africa with a camera, going to places that we weren't always supposed to be with cameras. We were supposed to be, you know, we were on science visas and stuff like that. I take the world a lot less seriously. And when I get wrapped up in what's going on in my day-to-day life, you know, client hasn't paid or somebody's being difficult or someone doesn't like me. Mm. I can get over that quite quickly. Sometimes I get wrapped up in my own head and have to sort it out, but 
doesn't matter. Like, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Rwanda and places like that. And my life's great. Everybody I know, you know, generally their lives are pretty good and we've all got our own struggles, but really like, I just think travel is one of the great ego removers. It just teaches yeah, you that course. the world's massive. There's lots of people out there. We've all got our own lives. You're just this little, this sounds bad or solemn, but with this little insignificant speck of dust. And actually I find that to be hugely, yeah. it's a big relief. Yeah. I love that saying, um, like it, like I listened, there's a, there's a book that I've listened to about three or four times, Cosmos. It's the Brian Cox and um, some other guy, I can't remember his name. But um, I've read that loads, of, like I've got the audio book, but I've listened to it loads of times in the car. And every time I listen to it and get to the end of it, I'm just like, I'm just like, because it, it, it makes, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's like how insignificant we are on this like stone that's like circling a massive you know, ball of fire in the middle of like this open space in the middle, you know, all that stuff just makes you go like, what the hell am I even concerned about what certain person thinks about me? Or it puts perspective into perspective. Yeah. Like totally, you know. And that doesn't mean we don't get wrapped up in our own heads sometimes and have to like give ourselves a talking to, but. But I think the overall, your overall perspective of things changes as opposed to, yeah, I might have got wrapped up in my head about a certain thing and not being able to unwrap that thing for quite a while. But now I'm just like, you know, you end up thinking about stuff. I go for a walk and it's finished kind of thing because you put your mind in a different thinking area kind of thing. Yeah. It's really interesting. No one's ever done that to me before. It's quite... But you must have some, like, good... You must have some serious stories. You should be... On your own podcast, <laughs> maybe <laughs> one day. Yourself. Maybe you should do it. <laughs> no, it is. It's cool to talk about it in this way as well because I, I sometimes feel like lots of people don't get it, or you know, something we were talking about before we press record. People take things so seriously, and people don't know how to disagree with each other anymore. And Massive. you know, getting you on the podcast, like I want to offer a new perspective. And even if somebody's listening to this, whether or not they've made it this far might just edit this into the start but whether or not you agree with the British military whether or not you agree with special forces and people going and doing you know hard work the fact is that they do and we can argue about that and we can talk about that and we can disagree with that if we want to but the reality of the situation is you have an opinion and a perspective on life and on adventure, and what I would say is a life well lived so far, that most people will never be able to access. And so I think, like, you know, it's interesting you talk about, you know, you must have stories, etc., etc. My real privilege with the first 10 years of my career has been that I've met fascinating people all over the world and heard their stories, which is why I wanted to start recording them. And, you know, yours is just... I'm fascinated by your perspective because I've never spoken to an ex-Special Forces soldier on the podcast before. Mm. And you've got a totally different perspective on so many things. You know, it almost seems like it's going to get heavy, ironically, but like you want to avoid the heavy shit. And that's okay. Mm. You know, not everybody wants to like have a deep philosophical discussion about life and death on the internet. And... You know, to me, you seem like one of the most content people I've ever interviewed. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, 
it's a life well lived, isn't it? Full of experiences, and it'll be a life that continues to be lived a full experience. And I think, you know, almost going back to what you were saying about, you know, I think like, uh, you know, I think I sometimes think about like school and the educational system and how it brings kids up a certain way. And, you know, personally, like, I think that's, you know, because school was never great for me, but yeah, I've lived a great life and will continue to. And that's, you know, I think there's a, you know, travel was a big one for me, going to different countries and seeing different cultures and traveling on my own and traveling with people that I didn't know. Um, I think, you know, you can always, you know, go back to Preston and you can always tell people that never got out of Preston. You know, they're always doing the same thing over and over again and drinking in the same bars and stuff. And not that that's bad if that's your dig and you're happy doing that, then carry on doing that. But um, yeah, for me, it was, always, I don't know, for me, it's that opportunity thing's massive for me. It's, you know, that, that, that keeps me, I'm hungry for opportunity and I'll take it whenever, wherever it comes. I mean, as a young man, it's probably fair to say that you had something to prove to the world. Massively, yeah, yeah. Does yeah. that is that still there? Yeah, massively, yeah. I'd say, you know, that's probably an insecurity, isn't it? Um, and proved to myself, I think. Because I, I always kind of, and I still do, I've got this thing where I just look at myself as being shit at absolutely everything. Um, you know, I always did at school, like at school, I always look at myself as being like shit at everything like conversation like you know talking to girls like I was always the guy that got none of the girls and all my mates got the girls do you know what I mean it was like I was shit at that um, and I don't know like I've, I've had that, that whole thing chasing me through my whole military career um, but that's always like I, I'm, I'm so competitive in my head like so competitive like like healthy competitive as in like I'm you know I'm never gonna I'm never gonna like piss anyone off or cause harm to anyone but in my head like if I'm lifting weights or whatever it is and someone next like even in a sauna like I'll go into a sauna and I'll be sat there I think there's a boxer that does it a Klitschko someone does it and I'll be sat there in the sauna and even in my head, I'm like, right, 15 minutes. And some, some guy will come in and I'm like, I'm just going to beat this guy. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to beat this guy. And another guy will come in and I'm going to beat this guy. And I've asked you this question three times already and you've asked it me once. Is that healthy? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it is because I'm having a good life. Um, yeah, like... You know, like, I think that's the beauty of the world, isn't it? That some people want to push themselves. Some people don't want to push themselves. Some people want to be astronauts. Some people are, just want to be a postman. It's like, I think that's what's great about the world, that not everyone wants to do the same thing. Because if, if everyone was competitive, then, you know, the world would be a, a boring, well, be competitive place, I'll tell you that. You know, I wasn't going to mention the whole SAS Who Dares Wins TV show stuff, but... I think there's some positivity there to talk about. Like, do you think that that's a good thing for people who aren't adventurous to be watching? Um, yeah, I personally do. I think it puts out a positive message there. Um, you know, like the, the guys that, you know, obviously I, I did it for a season, but the guys that do it, um, they put a positive message out there. 
Uh, they're good role, role models for, for, for young people. You know, you know it's, it's interesting since I did the show, you know, obviously my social media, like the following increased and all that kind of stuff. But like even that, like regularly get regu- regularly getting messages from people saying, you know, you've inspired me to lose weight or, um, you know, you've inspired me to get back into cycling or, or running or football, that kind of stuff. And like, for me, that's, that's, that's important for, that's important for something that's watched or viewed by so many people. Um, because I think it goes back to what we were saying before about like what is exactly on TV. TV's always freaked me out. As in, like EastEnders, Coronation Street. Like I've always been, I don't know. Like you're sat at home watching a electronic box with people on it that are people pretending to be other people that you're watching. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's always freaked me out. Um, so for a show to actually be on TV, that you know, you know whether you know you don't know like what what it does to everyone, but I know that it inspires quite a lot of people to change their lives in in whatever areas. So that's always a positive. It's better than watching Geordie Shaw. I like Geordie Shaw. <laughs> no joking. I've never even watched it in my fucking life. Um. And again, we talked about this just before, but obviously with being XSAS, you know, it's frowned upon in some circles to go and do that sort of stuff. What was the fallout like? And do you regret it? Um, Do you know, I kind of went from, like I left the military August 2018. um, And then I think it was probably about a year to the date that, you know, probably a little bit less than a year that um, I agreed to go on the show and that, you know, went through the interview process and all that kind of stuff. Um, and at the time I was out in Portugal surfing um, and I knew that that kind of I'd been chosen for the show and um, that the, the next process is that they have to then go to the military uh, or the MOD and say that, is, can this guy come on the show? Like, you've got to get permission because we're signing to the Official Secrets Act. Um, so you know that they're then going to speak to the people that you're in with who are in charge of you kind of thing. And like, if I'm honest, like personally, I was, you know, it's probably quite a bad, not a bad time, but like I've never, you know, I've probably never had anxiety like it before in my life. Um, you know, 14 years, 10 years in, in the SAS and, you know, that's all, that's all I'd known kind of thing since being a, a young kid from Preston. Um, so to then, you know, know that, cause it, it was, it's, it's semi frowned upon. It's like a lot of lads don't really give a fuck. Like it's, it, they don't watch it. It's out of their sphere and, and they know that they've got a very similar view of, to me that, that it's, putting a positive message out for, for the youth and like a lot of the lads' kids probably watch the show and like are really into like the, the DS on there and, and follow them on social media and all that kind of stuff. And and then, yeah, you do get like, whether it's, you know, the older guys or whatever that grew up in the Bravo 2-0 era, um, you know, that, that resent it. And I don't know, I guess when I left, probably people didn't know that that was something that I'd go into, so there was a, a bit of a backlash, you know, messages or whatever. And it's, it's kind of, you know, for me, it was quite, quite gutting though, Matt, because it was, 
you know, like if I think it goes back to that disagreement thing, is doesn't it? And it was like I wasn't. I'm, I'm, I don't get pissed off by much, but it was more about the way it was handled. You know, if you turned around to me and just said, "Look, Jay, heard you going on the show. Looked, are you sure you want to do it? Just give me a call. Let's chat it through." Like, regardless of what your opinion was, like I'd have probably called you and we could have a ch- could have had a chat, and you might have chose me to, you know, not go on the show. But instead, it's just like, like guns blazing kind of thing, um, which doesn't feel good, does it? Um, but but weirdly. As time passed, and I've probably got about three or four of these messages, and the more, the more of these negative messages that I got, the less the feet, like the anxiety, and the less the feeling inside of. And then what weirdly happened, because like, because like the Hereford, like Creden Hill at Hereford's like an, an episode of EastEnders, right? It's like there's a place that everyone goes and drinks coffee called the Pally and that's like gossip central. So as soon as word gets out, it's like, everyone's like chatting about it. And like, what was nice was, um, a load of guys just started messaging me out of the blue and just, you know, saying, look, Jay, I think it's awesome what you're doing and like hats off to you kind of thing. We're, you know, I'm glad that it's you that's doing it and not anyone else. And that kind of balanced it out. And, but you, I don't know, the negative ones always feel worse than the positive ones, don't they? It's like we said before, 1% of people love what you do, 1% will hate it and 98% just won't care. Exactly that, massively. People get so eaten up by their own ego. Yeah. And other people get eaten up by other people's ego. And that it's all, you know, a personal affront. Well, it's, you know, people have a perception of you, don't they? People have a view of, of, of you in their head and as soon as you step outside of that, it tests. I don't know, it like knocks people, doesn't it? Because like everyone, everyone that I'm with now, it's like they, they all expect me to be this person and turn up on that day and, you know, a good friend just lets you do whatever the hell you want to do and doesn't judge you for doing that. Um, and, you know, the regiment, regiments like the Premier League sports team, um, it's very similar as in like, you, you all kind of expect like, it's very, it's a pack, isn't it? And, you know, no one rarely steps outside that wolf pack. And if you do, you cast out kind of thing. And for me, leaving the military at 34 or leaving, leaving the special forces when I did, that's not a done thing. Like people stay in for their career, um, you know, become sergeant majors and all that kind of stuff. So I left as a sergeant at the age of 34. Um, so I stepped outside that pack and then did something completely different to what that pack would do and then, you know, all the pack are like, well, what's he doing? Like, why is he doing that? And that echoes between itself and everyone spreads that around kind of thing. So now that we're halfway through 2020, do you care? Nah. Nah. I got over it. I got over it quick. Um, do you know what? It, it, again, you've got to look at these things and learn from them, don't you? And that taught me to get over shit things like that. And I don't know, like, you know, the more, the more things like that or you know if you bring like like I think we mentioned it at the start if people you know you find out people are talking shit about you or whatever it is it's like you know that that whole episode of what happened on SAS Who Dares Wins and the regiment and that like that just taught me to get over stuff faster which I can now do you feel defined by it? Do you feel like it defines you being a special forces sergeant? Um, 
yeah, no. Like, it defines you in a way that, that, as in, that is you. Do you know what I mean? As in, that's what you did for the last 10 years. But it doesn't define you in a way that, oh, I'm, like, I'm a fucking SAS, like, I'm, I'm a special forces guy. Do you know what? I never sit there and think that, that it does define me. But in a way, all the skill sets and the person that you, that you became over that last 10 years, 14 years, that's who you are. So, yeah, no. Do you think it's conducive to, like, living a happy, healthy life? Is it healthy <laughs> for the fifth time? <laughs> I but, but it's true. I love that question, though. Is it healthy? Because, yeah. you know, we, we all have these little, like, things that we do, intricacies. And, you know, your podcast is probably full of people that... I don't know, maybe ask, the, ask those same questions, especially the kind of people that you've had on this podcast. It's like, they've probably got the same things going on in their head. Like there's a reason, you know, why some of, some of them have pushed themselves to the absolute limits and it's not because they had a great time at school and, you know, they, had a, you know, they, they were the top of the class at all the lessons and they played for an amazing sports team and life just went great for them. It's probably because they got through a lot of adversity in their life and, were exposed to challenges and like early on and got over those challenges and found that they were a better person for going through that shit time or getting over that challenge. So they went, right, well, do you know what? I'm going to live the rest of my life like that. I'm going to expose myself to difficult things. And when I've done them and, and I get over them, I'm a better person because of that. I mean, it's different versions of the same thing. It's just re-skinned. Like, yeah. you know, at the time that we're recording this, um, in a week, we're releasing an episode with Nick Bullock, like world-class alpinist. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, like, you know, how does he justify the risks he takes and does he get scared in the mountains? And he's like, I was a high-security prison officer for years and years and years. No, you know, there's nothing that can happen in the mountains that will ever be as bad as prison. <laughs> and you're like... But it's true. Like, yeah. But he's yeah. never been in the military. I don't know yeah. if Nick's pro or against. I, I didn't ask him and I won't. You know, it's yeah. Nick's story. And... You know, this is yours. It's just your take on how to live your life in a way that feels authentic and honest to you. Yeah. And that's why I was not expecting this interview with this conversation, which is what it is instead, to go this way. But really, this isn't about, you know, <laughs> this isn't necessarily about what it's like to be a soldier, what you got up to in Afghanistan, what you got up to somewhere else that you can't talk about. Really, what this whole conversation has been about is how one young lad from Preston finds identity and purpose. Yeah, I agree, yeah, totally. Yeah. And like, you and know, we'll continue to find it, I think. You're not 60, are you? Nah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Like, I don't, I don't want to get too, what's the word? Because there's like a lot of truth in a lot of sayings, isn't there? Do you know like the old sayings of like, you know, we've spun like new, We've, we've spun like new twists on it and said like identity and purpose and stuff but like there's a lot of these old sayings and I, you know I can't think of any off the top of my head now that just have so much truth in them um, you know there's one I recommend this book more than I recommend any other and it's called Tribe by Sebastian Younger read it okay yeah. so I adore that book and I adore him and you know, you might remember, but he says people need three things to be happy. Um, they need to feel confident in what they do. Yeah. Uh, sorry, competent in what they do, authentic in the way they live their lives and respected by their peers. And yeah, I think like mountaineers, <clears throat> alpinists, race car drivers, you know, special forces soldiers, it's this seeking those three things simultaneously. 
No, I like totally agree. Do you know, I think, you know, I think being in the military and being in the special forces, you know, being exposed to a lot of things put up, puts, puts a lot of things into perspective. And, you know, it was the thing that I was thinking about when I asked you about, did you change at all when you had the gun pointed at your head? And, and I remember going out to Afghanistan in 2006, I was 21 years old. And like, I remember, I remember growing up, feeling like I was growing up. Like I came back from it and I don't know, like I came back from it different, way different. And at the time I didn't really understand it. So I was still like 21, still, you know, your brain's still developing, all that kind of stuff. And I almost like look back on that time now and just think, you know, and everyone talks about PTSD. Um, and I, it was weird. I, was, I can't remember who I was listening to and they were talking about PTSG. So post, post-traumatic growth. And I was like, something dinged in my head and I was like, because I always said, I, like, I came back from the Af- Afghan tour and I was just like, like I saw people get PTSD and I saw events that happened people changed after those events and they were never the same. And still to this day, like have never been the same. And that, you know, that's a shame. And, and, and I've thought about that at times and just thought, you know, there's probably a lot of things that go into someone getting PTSD and it's not just an incident that happens. It's, you know, the outlook that that person has in their life, their health, their mental health prior to that event, you know, things that probably happened in the, in the, in the past, like there's, you know, there's a lot that goes into that, that I'm not an expert on and I'm not going to sit here and profess that I am, but that's what I've thought about. But I always thought when I came back from the Afghan tour, I went the other way. And like, regardless of what happened on the Afghan tour, friends dying, you know, I went the other way and I just came back and I was like, I almost, I almost loved my life more after that Afghan tour than I did when I went on it. But growing as a person is sexy and exciting. And I think it's, you know... I'd say, I'd say, what, this is so like, this is not patronising, I don't mean this to be patronising in any way, but it's, it's, it's wiser. It's not older, it's you've experienced a lot more than another person. Do you find, do you find now you struggle to relate to people? Yeah. Yeah. A very major way, which can become quite lonely. Yeah. So I, I, I'm like a classic extrovert, mm-hmm. you know, don't mind being the centre of attention. Well, like I, talking. campaigner, ENF, ENFTP. Yeah, all that that's stuff. what I am, yeah, extrovert. Yeah. yeah, but I'm also, I'm really good at being on my own and I enjoy my own company. And I think so, a big part of that these days is that when I'm on the expeditions, I've got people to like really chat to about this stuff. I mean, this conversation, you know, I keep forgetting we're having a podcast conversation and it's great for me. Like, I love this because I don't get to do it. Mm. And because yes, it's the answer. Like I, I can't relate to lots of people because, and I don't want to be antisocial, but sometimes like loads of people I like and love will all be in one place doing something. And I just think I'm just not into this. I'm exactly or, the same. I need to go and swim in the sea now. And I've just moved to the coast. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't really want to do that thing that everyone else is doing. Or I don't want to watch that program and now I haven't seen the latest season of whatever because I'm either like staying up till 2am 
working hard or yeah. planning stuff or doing weird things like going running at 1am because Stop. I want to explore the city. Yeah. Weird's good though. Yeah. That, so no, I, 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 no, I only ask because I do. Like I find, you know, I struggle to like, <clears throat> I don't know, form relationships with people because again, like same as you, I don't want to sound elitist in any way because I'm not. Like if, if that's your dig, then I, I dig it. You know, you do it. But like I just find like, I struggle to connect with people because I'm the same as you. I'd rather get up at 1am and go for a run in the pitch black with a head torch than sit sit watching movies till 2am. You know, it's it's hard. It's hard to find other people that, that do that stuff. And at the same time, I quite enjoy doing it on my own sometimes. Well, I found that getting married has been amazing because it's really grounded me. I mean, I was going to ask you about relationships, you know. Yeah. It, Obviously, XSF blokes are notorious for being, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not conducive to living Hard in a... boyfriends. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the lifestyle isn't, doesn't work, does it? Nah, does it help? Um, it doesn't. Um, it, like the same, same again, it takes, a, it takes a hell of a woman to, to stand by a special forces bloke because, you know, constantly away overseas, you know, you are literally on the bounce all the time. Even, you know, even if you move your wife or girlfriend out to Hereford and, um, you know, even during the week, you'll be, you'll be away somewhere, London or somewhere around the UK or fly overseas. It's, it's a very out of bed, um, out of bed kind of, uh, what's the word? Life. Simple word to think of, isn't it? Life. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm probably very similar to you, Matt. How old are you? 31. Yeah. See, I'm 36. See, I, again, like, relationships are just difficult because, again, like, I am I'm constantly away. I'm constantly doing things. And for me, I'm someone that, like, I don't, I'm not a very good planner. Like I'm a very sporadic person. Like I, I do things on how I feel at that time and not because I planned it two weeks in, 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 in advance. So I'll like, I'll do the old classic, like lads will arrange a, a lads night out on a Saturday next weekend or whatever. And I'll get to that lads week and I'll just be like, I actually don't feel like going out. I feel like going and doing something else. And I get quite, I give you that kind of stuff. Whereas I'm very much just like, you know, I was in Nuki all week because there was good waves and it was just like, we saw it three days in, in, in advance. It was good conditions, whatever, booked a place, went down and stayed there. It was like, what would, like, what woman would like put up with that kind of thing? It's not, not most of them and I don't blame them for doing that. So again, yeah, for me, it's... They'd have and to again, want to come I, with I, you. Say again. I think they'd have to want to come with you. Yeah. Or have their own shit going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, big time. Which again, you know, it's... And I enjoy my own space as well, so... I could probably get a bit miserable if I'm with someone for too long, mate. So, yeah. So, ladies listening, he's single but fussy. <laughs> single but pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, funny. Right, I suppose we'll start to wrap it up. Um, so, I'm going to ask you the cheesy questions because I like them. What scares you? Relationships. <laughs> um, what scares me? 
Um, I don't know. Again, I, th- I, I've, I think I think language is used very differently. Like I think language is used in the wrong way. Or I've come to view language differently, and it, and scare is I don't know not something that I try not to be cheesy, but scare is something that doesn't I, tr- I don't use. Like I can't use it. Like because again, everything's very complex, and like you look at like. So why does it scare you? Do you know what I mean? You've got to, you've got to break it down. Why does it scare me? Um, and there's there's probably nothing physical that that really fails. Like I get fear of failure, but that's pretty common, isn't it? Like I don't I don't think it's fear in failure. It's just fear fear in not being good enough for yourself or fear. You know. I heard this great quote recently. It was, I don't feel failure. I feel boredom and mediocrity. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Because I, I don't, you know, I don't feel fa- failure. I just fear what comes after that. Well, it's the full cheese, but like failure is part of the process. Yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I'd just say just boredom and just boredom scares me more than anything. I think boredom and living a life that's unfulfilled, probably. Um... What brings you hope? Hmm. God. Brings me hope. I don't know. Do, do you know what? It's not something I think about. I'm ve- do you know what? I think, like, you know, I said before, I don't really watch the news or anything like that. I, ve- I very much just focus on my own, what's going on in my world and just, just concern myself about that. And... um. For me, I like to just plan projects and have things that are going on that bring me excitement and fun. Um, and like the outside stuff, don't 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 waste energy on it because I put so much energy into what I'm doing that I don't have you know very little energy left and right that I can put into other things. So I don't. I, I get I get funny with words, you know, like failure and scared and like even probably hope. It's like. Yeah, like, like I, I hope the world becomes a better place tomorrow than what it is today, will it? I don't know, like, everyone work on their own shit and maybe it will. Do you think all the training's drilled it out of you? But, well, yeah, because, like, you, you look at, like, things that you do, you just, I don't know, you break down, don't you? You break down everything that you're doing and, um, yeah, I don't know, like, what, what for, for you, like, you, like, I don't, what, I you don't bring... think everybody does. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I just, I just find like, I'm not very like linear as in like, um, if you ask me what I like, like one day I like some stuff, the next day I like the other stuff, you know, it's probably the same with like language and stuff. It's, I don't know. I use it in a different term. Like I'd never use the word scared in my vocabulary. Like, like, yeah, I might be, yeah. So I I can't even say it. Do you know what I mean? That's, that is, I mean, we don't have time to go into all that. But I'd look at something. If you said, so if you said, Jay, we're going to go and do our cap next, next, next week, I'd look at it and I'd go, well, I'm probably not, you know, I probably need to train for it. So I probably couldn't do it. So Matt, I won't do it. I wouldn't be like, yeah, and then shit myself up to that time doing it. Do you know what I mean? It's, I'd break it down. But you've spent so long being taught and then practicing channeling fear into energy. Yeah. That, it, I mean, you're talking about it now, it's language. Yeah. It's all language. Mm. So I change it up just to piss you off and mess with you. <laughs> what are you like at your lowest? And why do you get there? 
you know, how do you get to your lowest? Yeah, like, do, do you know what? Like, I think the, the older I get, the more I just appreciate everything. And I've learned to appreciate, because, you know, I'm very much, I have massive highs and not massive lows, but I have lows. Um, it's the nature of it, isn't it? You go out, race a car, you have an amazing high. Next minute, you sat in Costa getting a coffee and you have that low and you're just like, I just want to get back, back out and race cars or I just want to get back out and surf or I just want to get back out on an expedition. But I've, I think the longer, the more lows you have, I think the more I just learn to appreciate them because they're just setting me up for the next high. And I'd rather live a life that's full of lows and highs than a life that's just flatlined. That's a pretty good answer for me. Yeah. I'm going to leave it there. Sweet. Thanks. That was ace. Cheers, Matt. Appreciate it. It was good fun. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk and you can find us and follow us on Instagram at The Adventure Podcast. The podcast is produced in association with Sidetrack Magazine. So for an extra adventure fix, visit sidetrack.com. The podcast is produced and distributed by Pip Saunders and Alex Hall. And as always, please um, do head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They make a huge, huge difference.